Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Tony Steek. Tony is the COO of Advicent. Advicent is the largest provider of financial planning software around the world and is most famously known for its Navaplan product. I was lucky enough to pin down Tony in his recent trip to Toronto. So I hope you enjoy this interview. And with that, Tony Steek. Hello, Anthony. Hi. How you doing? Good. I'm glad to be here. Well, thank you for coming in. I was lucky to pin you down in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, it was the stars aligned. We got in this morning, and um, this is going to be fun. It's amazing how many of these interviews that just that that happens. So, Anthony Steek of Advicent, tell us about Advicent. Sure. So, Advicent is the. I mean, I guess the easiest way to describe it, we're the developers of Navaplan. However, I want to take it a step back and explain that we are a financial planning software developer. In fact, we are in seven countries on four continents. Mm-hmm. Um, we are the developers primarily of Navaplan, but also Financial Profiles and Figlo. We also have Client Portal, Advisor Dashboard, and API technology. And just to give you kind of an understanding of who we serve, we have about 100 enterprise clients, 60 of which what you call blue chip clients. So mm-hmm. really, really strong in the enterprise space, especially in Canada and the United States. We service about 100,000 users so when you kind of add up all of our competition, it still doesn't even meet how many we serve with our technology. And we'll come back to that in a minute because there's something about the servers we got to talk about later. Now, sure. tell me a little bit about the history of Vicent and then your history with them. Sure. So our roots actually trace back to 1969, which is kind of, I know, I know, it's kind of funny for a software company. We've had a couple of fintech companies that were fintech before fintech, but I think you were fintech before technology existed. (laughs) I think our first financial plans were printed on dot matrix printers, actually. So this is some of them still are in some companies, but (laughs) probably in some parts of this country. Yeah. So we started back in 1969. Uh, Gus Hanch actually was referred to as the godfather of financial planning. The, Mm -hmm. the, The idea to be able to create calculation standards to provide financial planning. Over time, we kind of grew, once known as EISI. They acquired, of course, Navaplan. I think that was in the 90s. And then in the 2000s, we all came together under the Zywave umbrella, which was an insurance brokerage software. Mm-hmm. About now, I want to say 10 years ago, approximately, we spun off from Zywave, not even 10 years ago, but we spun off from Zywave when we became Advicent. Uh, the reason for the name, Advice Enterprise, so it's kind of advice for enterprise. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of where they get that from. But we typically say we're the guys that make Navaplan. Yeah, that's the most recognizable brand. Sure. Makes perfect sense. It's like research in motion and BlackBerry for a while. Right. Fair enough. And your history with them? So I've been around for about four years. I actually started in the marketing world. Um, I'm now chief operating officer. That title actually includes all customer journey. So Mm -hmm. it's really kind of a cool idea. So Angela, our CEO, asked me to manage and oversee all the customer journey functions. So Mm -hmm. anyone who interacts with a prospect or customer throughout their contract life with Advicent would come through me. So that's marketing, sales, professional services, those who install the software, Mm -hmm. and then customer support. My history, I actually have always been in uh, finance. In fact, 
I joke oftentimes that I did time at AIG. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and my first career was actually with them down in Florida, variable annuity life insurance company. Mm. So the Valic portion of that business, which was 403Bs and other federal kind of uh, retirement planning. After that, I moved into banking, uh, national banks, regional banks, uh, one more community bank. And then I was uh, encouraged to join Advice, and, and I haven't looked back since. Excellent. So lots of product to talk about. So let's talk about the big one. So Navaplan, tell us about Navaplan. Yeah, so Navaplan, in short, is the, I don't want to say the number one financial planning software in the world, but by user counts and by its adoption rate, it really is. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of how we measure it. It's a comprehensive financial planning software with a cash flow first mentality. We think when you talk about fiduciary standards, the idea of the right type of advice, we think cash flow first, really truly understanding the inflows and outflows of the client, but then layering goals the top of that. So what with comprehensive doesn't mean complicated. Nav a plan can be very simple. You can generate a level one plan in just a matter of minutes. You can establish goals. You can forecast out results. But that's really the big, that's our workhorse. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, we focus a lot of time in Nav a plan. Again, we have about 100 enterprise partners, many of which use Navaplan as their technology of choice. So when you think of the top banks in Canada, when you think of the largest wirehouses in the United States, when you think of, I mean, you name it, you look at the logo, there's a good likelihood that Navaplan's in that institution. Well, that brings up an interesting uh, point there because the survey results for uh, on T3 don't show you guys at a huge market share. However, that's not counting all the white labeling you guys are doing across the board, right? So when you really add that all up, you're far larger than most people believe. Right. Joel tries to do this, the survey every year, yeah. right? And with each year, it continues to gain a little momentum and traction. But mm-hmm. I don't think it does justice for who Navaplan is, especially mm-hmm. in market share, but also in usage and survey reactions and results. Mm-hmm. So with the way it goes, Navaplan is white labeled. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's first and foremost. But secondly, when you think of these large advisor workforces that are captive, if you will, or working under a logo or a wirehouse or, or a bank, mm-hmm. they don't fill out those surveys. They don't. Yeah, when enough. you think yep. about it, it's very independent. It's, it's all the indep- RA space, essentially. Precisely. It's yep. the RAAs. It's independent advisors, maybe the ones and two-person shops. It certainly isn't those large institutions. So I think that first and foremost, is an injustice on the user counts and kind of that market survey. Secondly, when you talk about, you know, oftentimes I find when you have a survey, there's folks that want to fill out the survey because they love the technology Mm -hmm. or they have a bone to grind. Yeah. There's the old Mark Twain line about there being lies, damn lies and statistics. Right. And yeah. And survey composition is a witchcraft art into itself. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it's tough because we get the survey results back. We see them. It shows, you know, lower than ideal user expectations or ratings. And that's just, that's not indicative of our user population. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be, our average enterprise contract length is pushing 10 years to 12 years. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's how long we've been doing it. Yeah. So that just goes to show that usage rates, satisfaction with the technology, the calculation standards, those are all well received. So getting back to it now, there's, to my knowledge, there's still two versions. You have the older desktop version of Navaplan and then the cloud version, which is the more modern one. Sure. Uh, what's the split on that? How many people are still stuck to the desktop? And, and what's the, out of curiosity from your vision, what's the reason? And is there a timeline for getting them off of that? So the, yeah, there is two versions. There's the true SaaS based version, but it yeah. gets a little more complicated because some enterprise firms choose to self-host. Due oh, to fair their, enough. Yeah, yeah. So due to their own standards, both security, infosec, things like that, they'll host themselves. But a vast majority are on our cloud-based technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, you ask so they're still scared of the cloud? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, <laughs> that's really what it is, right? And, and there's something yeah. about this. Yeah, they're scared of the cloud. 
and it, but it's also job security. But Fair enough. Get into yeah. that, right? Um, <laughs> no, but, you shouldn't yeah, convert to the cloud. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my job would not be yes, useful. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Precisely. But there is a desktop version, and yep. and we kind of joke around about that. But there are a lot of individuals that still service the needs of clients that don't have access to the internet. So when they wow. go, I know, but it's true. No, you're it's I, true. Yeah. Right. So they use a desktop version. They import all the data. They can run calcs right there. But then there are some cases where these firms will then, that'll actually go, once they get access to the internet or the Wi-Fi again, they'll actually, it'll import into that SaaS-based version. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there is a desktop version available for those individuals. Good, good. So, I mean, you guys have been building out capabilities of that for a while now. And I know that you've uh, more recently gone to the data aggregation side and the client portal side. Can sure. you speak to that? So admittedly, we're a couple years behind on the portal. We're not going to deny that. But yeah. I think that was a benefit to us because now the portal we do have, yeah. state of the art. In well, you terms have to of, learn everybody else's mistakes. Right, that <laughs> and coding, you know, because how yeah. fast code, how fast like development changes. So we got that leg up there. So yeah, we have a nice portal. We have a great partnership with Quovo, right, with the account aggregation side. Um, we certainly can integrate with anyone by all accounts. Yodley. It depends on uh, the request, but Quovo is really the one we've w- worked with frequently, especially up in Canada. But I want to talk more about the APIs and the portal itself. That was my next question to talk about the capabilities you built there so we can understand just how this can extend out in the future. Right. So what we've done is we've built the portal on top of APIs. So what we've done is we decoupled the user experience from those engines itself. And by doing so, we're allowing you know, larger enterprise institutions the ability to use that API within their ecosystem. So gone are the days where you have to buy out-of-the-box client portal or, yeah, we can configure it, but it's kind of ours. Now it's, no, 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 you can run yeah. Navaplan Calcs right into your ecosystem. Yeah, I'm not going to pick on competitors at this point, but one of the frequent complaints I've made is everybody's getting, you, know, you switch advisors and they talk about a different experience and everything else. And then they end up in the exact same looking client portal, <laughs> right? And, you know, one of my grand frustrations has always also been the, you know, lack of customization and reporting in many cases, because, you know, you can put two plans next to each other and they look identical, right? But one can be far superior than the other, but just that superficiality, like a superficial look, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we don't do ourselves any favors by getting everything stock. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and it's hard to, to define that advisor gamma when yep. they look the same. Exactly. Right. Um, I remember back, yeah, banking's like that too. You know, it's the same thing. So there's there's the standard core processing systems. And that's why the APIs, yep. that's why we had so much success with the APIs. In fact, we've had a lot of great conversations and a lot of projects in flight today because what we're doing is simply saying, hey, you want to run a Navaplan calculation and put it back into your ecosystem if it's your client portal, your mm-hmm. advisor dashboard, we're starting to see our enterprise partners building lightweight planning solutions using our Calc Engine. That's great because now you're basically giving people the keys to the kingdom and letting them basically build whatever they want with any look, with any brand, with any with anything. You know, they want the charts to be a different type of. You want to go from line to bar. That's their option, right? That's the best way to say it. We've yeah. given them the keys to the kingdom. We have unlocked the powerful calculations of Navaplan and allowed people to access them and put them wherever they so choose. And what's happening, like you said. No graphs the same. You can overlay comp. You can overlay calculations. You can do your financial lifeline. Anything you want to do, function the way you want it to function, is capable with our APIs, and that's mm-hmm. something that separates us from the competition as well. Many times when you hear a competition saying, "Oh, we have APIs," it's standard iframe stuff. It's the brand can't change. You still see their kind of color system from that financial planning yeah. software. API is a checkbox right now. The question is how deep does it go and the and right. the nimbleness of being able to work with it. Right. And so like I said before, we were late to the game on that portal, but what it allowed us to do was understand the deficiencies in the market. Mm-hmm. 
and jump ahead. Mm-hmm. And these APIs are the way to API is the way to do that. Excellent, excellent. So, what do you think the compelling reason for using your software over others? I mean, it's a crowded space. What is it that's leading people to choose Navaplan over the competition? Sure. So, in fact, we talk about T three. I was at T three Enterprise last year, and we the title of the presentation was lessons from your competition. And it actually, on Twitter, before the presentation, I got a lot of inquiries. What are you talking about? Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to show? And of course, we're not going to show any trade secrets, but I want to go back to that point. 60 blue chip organizations choose Navaplan. Mm -hmm. 100 enterprise partners across the globe choose financial planning software from Advicen. Mm -hmm. Think about that for a minute. If your bank or these large institutions say, these calculations are the best, this is what belongs in our institution, wouldn't you want to pick that as well? And the best part of and so when we went to this, when I went to T3, you had a lot of, I don't want to call them retail advisors, but RIAs, smaller shops, guys that really kind of demonstrate their gamma different ways mm-hmm. through financial planning software. They get to use the best calculations. They get to use the expectations of these enterprise organizations, and they get all the benefit of that. Everything yeah. you see, I'll give you a good example, presentation module. I don't, it's an untapped, pretty cool function yep. that exists in Navaplan, which allows an advisor or a financial professional to step-by-step go through a quick presentation with data inputs and gamification that helps sell a story around perhaps selling life insurance Mm -hmm. or annuity or just building out goals. That was designed and built through the expectations of our enterprise partners. They actually dictated how that workflow would be built why it would be beneficial. They use that in their sales and they're all their, first of all, they do it in all their onboarding, all their training. That's they use those programs. Hmm. And we we're now giving that to the retail audience. We're giving that to those independent guys and gals and those RAAs and they can use that too. So I think that's the value prop. You know, the idea that you get enterprise tested, right. But open to everyone. Right. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the ecosystem's come so far, you know, in the States in terms of just how much was only available to top tier firms before and is now available to everybody. It's, right. it's uh, quite astonishing. It allows, allows the smaller shop to definitely compete, which is fantastic. Okay, good. Now let's talk about some of the other um, the other products. What, what, ne- what child do you want to talk about next? Sure. I'll, we'll go with, I'll start with Figlo next. Yep. Yeah, Figlo. Figlo. We'll go through Figlo and then we'll end up with Advisor Briefcase. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Figlo is our European tool. We have a development office in Rotterdam, which mm-hmm. is outside of Amsterdam. I try to visit as often as possible. I was going to say, how much time do you spend there? Probably not enough, right? Not enough. Not enough. But my wife and children would beg to differ. So Figlo is available in about five countries throughout Europe. Very similar style customer profile, right? Mm -hmm. All the large enterprise institutions, all Aegon Bank, ABN AMRO. Mm -hmm. I mean, the really large institutions out in Europe use our technology in Figlo. And they were API first. So that was their idea. Mm. Was they were actually the ones that kind of came up with this whole API first into the ecosystem. How long ago was that? Because that sounds pretty early in the game. That seems to be a much more recent trend. Right. It is a recent trend. They were doing it way beforehand. Really? In fact, that's why we bought them. You know, okay. we had acquired them <laughs> because of that very reason. Yep. Because we saw the value in that APIs and that user experience and the idea behind that. We brought FIGO over the United States uh, and in Canada. We started to localize it. And we realized after talking with many of our partners that they wanted us to focus on Navaplan. And so mm-hmm. we did. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know what? Figlo is available in Europe. It's an outstanding tool. But what we're going to do is we're going to put our dollars and cents into Navaplan. And our enterprise partners are embracing that. So that's kind of the, that's the story behind Figlo. That being um, said, you're still garnering the learnings of Figlo and basically applying to Navaplan. Yeah, the intellectual property there is yeah. what's being applied to Navaplan. Mm-hmm. And we used certainly a lot of that, not the code base, we used a lot of the UI UX understandings in mm-hmm. their portal, which is how we rolled out our portal. So you'll see a lot of the Figlo 
artifacts within our technology in the United States, but they both serve different purposes. And then finally, advisor briefcase, that's our marketing communication engine. The cool part about advisor briefcase, regretfully, it's not available in Canada, but it has about 700 documents that have all been reviewed by FINRA. It's kind of like the Mm -hmm. board that that acknowledges the factual data of the documentation. They review it, everything. You can publish it. You can send it out via email. You can actually take the content and put it on your website directly, your blog, your social media. It's very well written. So we have just, again, a countless database. And we're starting to look at ways to integrate that content. It's still a little ways out, but into the portal. Kind of starting to figure out demographics, perhaps in a portal, right? We're going to see if we can understand, hey, if this individual has a goal for home ownership in 2022, there's content that we could serve them up in the portal that's very specific to saving hmm. to those goals and home ownership. So we're looking at ways to really- To tie the goals back to the actual marketing message. Precise. Mm-hmm. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at ways to integrate Advisor Briefcase into our holistic offering. Good. So, I mean, that's, that's a gamut of, uh, of options there. So- in terms of integrations now, you guys are getting more and more into the integration game, just like others in the U.S. Who do you integrate with currently? We're enterprise first. Yeah. So that's the tricky part. Yeah. So we integrate first with back offices. We're with all the core processors for the top five custodians. We, mm-hmm. you know, we do all the major ones that are yep. that, that are extremely important. Uh, obviously, Creases up in Canada is a good partner of ours for mm-hmm. integration. Uh, in the United States, you name it. Retail, all, this, all these. Yeah, yeah. so the EBICs, all the CRMs, all your standard expectations, right? Pershing, the NetX360, of course, TD, Schwab, all of those, OpenView Gateway from Schwab. So all of those integrations are pretty much standard. Mm-hmm. And then if we have the expectations for, for instance, you know, if someone asks for a risk tolerance questionnaire technology to be integrated into their system, we would do it. Mm-hmm. But it's really what enterprise partners want first. That is a disadvantage to us. There are some competitions out there that have 30, 40 integrations. But mm-hmm. the reality is, is you need your standard CRM. Absolutely. Yeah. Portfolio. And honestly, sometimes I'm a little bit overwhelmed by all the integrations I see out there. I think to myself, okay, you need an IT person just to figure out how all these things. <laughs> yeah. and How they interlock. I mean, like, right. Oh, wow. You integrate with 55 different partners. Yeah. How many times can I possibly screw that up? Right. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> right. just imagine breaking links in, in, in the different. Uh, yeah. It just, yeah. Yeah, so we focus on the, the primary ones that are most important, those mm-hmm. ones that are in high demand, and then we kind of go from there. Yeah, CRM trading, yeah, re- yeah. reporting, that makes perfect yeah. sense. So, I mean, you guys, like, I said, like you said earlier, four continents, seven different countries. you got quite the global perspective. Between There's only a couple of players in this space that actually have that kind of reach. What do you think that lends to your view of the world and how that impacts how you run Advicent? It's a great question. And our global presence is, in fact, one of our competitive advantages. And I'll tell you why. There's really two reasons, but I'll focus on the first and foremost. You know this. We deal with we deal with regulations day in and day out. <laughs> really? Yes, What's that right, like? right. Yeah. But you know what's really fascinating? So we have offices in Europe and London, right? We see regulations in Europe. I'll give you an example. Retail distribution review in London. So mm-hmm. RDR was a form. I don't want to trivialize RDR, but it's a form of fiduciary standard. And like fee transparency up here with CRM, like same thing. But we saw that in Europe first. We saw those headwinds coming to Canada and the United States. So by having that presence... You can see the trends as they happen. We have the wherewithal. So not only are we thought leaders and helping our consulting our partners through these regulatory challenges, but we're also developing in advance. So it's kind of fun. There's We joke around about all the time. So regulation goes from Europe 
to North America. Unless it starts in Australia first. It always starts in Australia first. And you know that. Wow, I'm impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah so no. I honestly, I try to keep it near to the ground, not just in my country, but elsewhere, simply because it's astonishing to me. I mean, I see the trends happening around the world. I try to get ahead of them here. And people think I'm, you know, like Chicken Little saying the sky is falling. But it comes around. And yeah. when you go to places like the FPA conference and you go to the international circles, you're talking to people from like 40 different countries. Yep. Everybody's got the same concerns. Regulatory issues, pushing on transparency, fee compression, you name it. It's all the same. We just all seem to be on the same development curve, just at different points. And if you can see ahead of that, it's incredibly valuable. But, you know, unfortunately, many advisors I know just to just say, yeah, well, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to worry about it here. It's like, oh, okay. It's coming. You, you wait for the meteor. I'll, I'm going to prepare for it. Right. Yeah. No, it's funny you said. I love that you brought up Australia because it's true. Yeah. The epicenter of regulation and government monitoring comes from Australia. Well, have you seen their their most recent proposal on um, advisor proficiencies? No. This one's nuts. So undergraduate degree in a applicable subject, one year works experience, a CFP or equivalent, annual continuing education and attestation, which you have to basically, or you're liable for, and no grandfathering. If as of next year- No grandfathering? This is the, I think it's, it's still proposal stage. I'm not sure it's 100% there. But basically, as of next year, anyone coming in has these requirements in order to be a financial advisor, financial planner, whatever it is. If you don't have the CFP, you got three years. If you don't have a degree, you got six. And wow. I got to say, I fully support it simply because their view is that public perception is what matters. These people think that they're coming to someone who's a professional who has the academic criteria to actually be able to give the advice they're supposed to be giving. So frankly, if it results in a bunch of jobs being lost, that's too bad because frankly, you shouldn't be in that position in the first place. Only 25% of the population hits the standard currently. Wow. Yeah. That is an indictment. You're it right. Is, that yeah. is, but, it's, it's, but think about the courage the regulators have to be able to do that and say, you know what? Don't care. Don't care. People, you know what matters? The consumer. Consumer wow. matters. Yeah, I would applaud that. In fact, it's funny. I think it was Kitsy's. Uh, That's where I got her from. Michael, got, Michael yeah. talked about it first. I'm like, whoa, I have yeah. to look it up. Yeah, and so I think I read something from him on just the definition of a financial advisor, the financial yep. planner. I, and I, I do like that idea. I get yep. that. That makes perfect sense because you do go into an office and you think they're a financial advisor. They're a financial professional. You know, people people don't investigate. They, they, they satisfy. So they basically say, okay, this person's got this designation or this title and whatever it is, and they basically feel that that makes them, a, you know, that criteria is valid. But is it? I mean, there's a big debate going on in this province right now because Canada, we do everything province by province, not state by state. And, you know, you guys do things more more globally down there, thank God. But the big debate is around the uh, regulation around the term financial planner. And it's still like, we, there's no criteria. Like anyone can call themselves a financial planner. So we're, we're still fighting on that one, believe it or not. Hopefully that happens next year, but we'll see. But that's good. Those yeah. are the good regulations. So Absolutely. Those, are, those burdens are good, yeah. right? But then I would argue that there's some burdens that burdens for the sake of being burdens. Yes, right? regulation for the sake of regulation. Right. But it's 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 funny. Yeah. Like you said, Australia's epicenter goes to Europe and it comes to North America and they look at North America as the Wild West. I mean, not so much Canada, but United mm-hmm. States, the Wild West regulation. But well, that I will have that debate with you at some point. Right. Well, but then what's <laughs> yeah. interesting though is like, I don't want to toot uh, the North American horn, but they take all of our innovation. It's really interesting if you yeah. watch it. Like regulation comes from Europe and comes over and think of every robo-advisor. I mean, yep. it came from North America. Oh, absolutely. And so then they go over to EMEA. So it's like this, almost like this crossing the the pond. And at some point, the regulation's crossing over the yeah, innovation. There's a very different viewpoint in government in terms of their response, right? Like here, it's about garnering the growth of industry and innovation. There, it's about protecting the populace more. And I think we actually, it, it makes for a very nice balance. It makes for a good balance because we learn from each other. Although I think I'd rather have the innovation side on my side of the pond, but uh, <laughs> that's just my preference. 
that's yeah yeah that's why we're here yeah absolutely yep. good so uh with all this you know with all the complexity you guys deal with how big is the team and how many offices do you yeah, have? Yeah, so we have, okay, so I'll give you the full gamut. We're about 300 strong. Most of our folks are in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, the mm-hmm. fintech capital of the world. Beer Who and cheese, right? <laughs> no, beer and cheese, beer and yeah, cheese. Beer and cheese. No, but no. We, obviously we have a lot of large financial institutions. So Northwestern Mutual, of course. Yeah. RDB Baird's very large there. A lot of great bank, Fiserv, FIS. So my ignorance, I haven't been to Milwaukee. Yeah, no, Monday, that's okay. It's not the fintech capital yep. of the world, but it, there certainly is a great financial yep. footprint. Not to mention the fact that we're within an hour of Chicago mm-hmm. and an hour flight of Minnesota. Yep. So really, there is a, a financial cluster in the Midwest. But then we have a, a series of remote employees. We have a good presence in Winnipeg. In fact, we mm-hmm. have some folks in Toronto. We have folks scattered across the United States. So those that manage partner relationships, those are in sales. But then we have a lot of developers and business analysts that are spread across North America. And then in Europe, we have, like I mentioned, the office in Rotterdam, about 50 strong there. And then uh, they have some folks throughout that country that work from home as well. So a good, nice footprint, nice, healthy footprint. We do all our developing in-house today, currently Mm -hmm. in Milwaukee and Rotterdam. So again, you guys have been around since the 60s. How many times have you torn this thing down or rebuilt it from scratch? Yeah, so that's that's a great question. I don't even know the answer to that. It's been been a few times. But the best part is, is you learn from your mistakes. Absolutely. You do it again. And uh, in fact, in the next couple of years, you're going to see a really cool new Nava plan and and a lot of fun stuff that we're working oh, on. Oh, don't today. tease me with that stuff! Come I, on, just wait, <laughs> just wait. We got some really cool stuff. Remember, I told you about those APIs. So yeah. Just imagine, oh, imagine the, the UI UX that we can build on top of Nava plan. Well, with not our just APIs. you. I mean, like now you've expanded your learning potential to not just you, but your vendors, right? So the number, you know, you get to see all the cool stuff. People get to dream up and then be like, hey, that's fantastic, right? I mean, you know, can liken it to, say, the Apple App Store, right? How many ideas that got baked into iOS later off started off as a separate app, right? Precisely. So you're yeah. creating an ecosystem for development, which is usually valuable for innovation. So that's that's fantastic. Yeah, but just think about it. Like you said before, keys to the kingdom, unlocking those Nava plan calcs. You could drive a robo with, you know, coupling with Quovo. You could create all these fantastic experiences. Oh, they're running through my mind right now. I know. Of, portfolio management yeah. from fulfillment for insurance. All of that's unlocked at yeah. this point. And the speed at which we develop and deliver is, of course, up to us. But I think the sky's the limit. And that's, that's what's really exciting. So uh, what do you think the biggest challenges you guys are facing going forward are? So you, I mean, you mentioned a couple of, I mean, we talk, of course, about regulation. It's, it's mm-hmm. not a challenge for us necessarily, but it's a challenge for our partners. So that's a challenge for us, mm-hmm. right? So whatever... We don't call ourselves a technology vendor. We call ourselves a, a partner. But that being said, I mean, the way I look at it is, frankly, with the entire fiduciary debate down there, you guys, I mean, anyone who's in the financial planning space is automatically providing more value. I, I think that all financial planning softwares are in a good position to basically help reinforce the fiduciary standard and, and the value add proposition beyond just sales. Yeah, right? no. Just by, just by their very nature. You hit it on the head for yeah. two reasons. In fact... So the fiduciary standards came out. I met with Will Trout from Sealant out in London, mm-hmm. and we sat down and talked. And we kind of explained the Navaplan architecture and the process by which you provide advice. And we sent this out to actually a few different consultants. Everyone agreed. Navaplan was built for this. And I'll tell you two things. I mentioned the, the first is it's a third-party technology. What better way to provide a fiduciary advice than knowing the calculation source is third-party? Yeah. It's independent. It is. And that's that in and of itself. Oh, my product doesn't look better automatically because I tinkered something in the background. You're right, absolutely right. Right. So think about that way, number one. Yeah. And number two, really, when you think about the fiduciary standards and you think about providing advice, 
you want to make sure, A, the calculation source is independent. But I would argue, so when you think about an enterprise organization, what's, I don't want to pick on a bank because mm-hmm. I'm sure they're all listening, but when they have retail I advisors, pick on plenty, but I know I that. won't, I won't. <laughs> I, we, you have your retail advisors, you have your trust professionals, you have your CFPs, you have your high net worth wealth units, you have all these folks. What I struggle with is the idea that there's separate technologies available for these individuals. Mm. I think that's an injustice to the retirement public. Why? Single source calculation should be the way of the future. That's a fiduciary. So think about it this way. If a retail advisor in a bank uses a lighter weight goals-based software, right? And they run a report, they provide the report to them, they get it. What happens when that person graduates a wealth class and moves into, let's say, a NAVA plan? Back to scratch. Right, it's back to scratch. Your ratings are different. Your probability of success is different. Everything about that changes. Mm I think that is an injustice. The calculation source should remain consistent throughout Agreed. the Agreed. I mean, there should be one client identity throughout the entire yes. corporation. I mean, that leads into other issues surrounding banking regulation and who can touch what based on what line of business they're dealing with. But that can be controlled for. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I so mean, single source calculation, yeah. the idea that it's third party, it's completely independent. Yeah. Right. But then also to be able to manage the workflow. I mean, up here, we've done a lot of great stuff. I think the reasons why letter is a good example of how we've kind of quickly changed the way our technology delivers things to provide that letter, to provide the ability for you guys to modify the disclaimers and disclosures to provide completely. It fits the Canadian regulatory needs. Right. So we have the flexibility, mm-hmm. but we're built for that. And, mm-hmm. and, Fiduciary standards, they're not dead. We joke around about all the time that the DOL was a great deal. It was a great, it was a great opportunity for financial planning software because Absolutely. like you said, it's like. How do you prove your value now? Right, exactly. Right. And the DOL is going to let it go. And it's been made known by the administration that they don't have a problem with the, the idea of fiduciary standards. It's who's managing it. So yeah. when the SCC picks it up and they start to look at it, I think you're going to see something coming out. Yeah. I mean, it's a matter of time. The reality is too, is, and not only that, just not just from the standpoint of it's what's right. The reality is, is that every advisor I speak to down there that is either basically sees themselves as that already, or I think the younger ones come in with that mindset in the first place, especially with all the programs you guys have down there for graduate with financial planning diplomas and degrees, you know, this is being ingrained in them from an early age, right? right? So there's this different shift. People used to come in as salespeople. Now they're more likely the option of coming as a financial planner exists, right? right? So it's all on trend and it's not just where you are. It's literally around the world. So right. It's the see, market. Yeah. Right. You see the debate happening everywhere. And frankly, I mean, and then what, what truly, truly just staggers me. I mean, uh, this conversation on a couple occasions, let's say like friends who are lawyers and they're like, well, yeah, but you have a fiduciary responsibility. I laugh. I'm like, want to hear something ridiculous? I don't. And they look at me like, how is that possible? Right. Right. Like you ask the average person off the street yet again, does the advisor you're dealing with have a legal obligation to act in your best interest, they're all going to think the answer is yes, right? So isn't it kind of ridiculous that regulation hasn't caught up with that yet? It's stunning. Yeah, it, it is. It really is. It is. So before we close out, I'd like to ask one question, everybody. What excites you about your product, this marketplace, everything going forward? So that's a great ending question. Um, that's why I save it for the end. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. No. <laughs> So, you know, our, our mission statement advice is to enable everyone to understand and impact their financial future. And the idea is that our mission statement is not just about our partners and customers. It's about the end client. And what excites me the most is over the last five years, you know, with the fiduciary standards and then also this infusion of capital, you've noticed there's a lot of M&A activity, a lot of oh, VCs, yeah. a lot of private equity they firms. definitely turn their eye towards this industry. But you know, that's that's a good thing. Absolutely. That promotes innovation, that promotes investment, but it sheds a light on our industry and the media is starting to look at mm-hmm. it. I famously said the F word, 
fiduciary, right? It's out of the bag. <laughs> That's right? what they call it in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. it's the F word, right? <laughs> yeah. But the idea is people are now asking about that. And that, that excites me because you should know if your advisor or financial professional is acting in your best interest. You should know that. Absolutely. And because of this, the light shine on in our industry, people are starting to ask that question. Even more so, what makes me excited is there's the technology that NABAPLAN and many of our competitors offer is making advice available to more people, which is good. You need to start thinking about retirement planning now. It's yep. so critical. Just savings, just investments. And that's what excites me because it's really changing the way people interact with advice. Absolutely. And that's one thing I, I see in the U.S. and I'm jealous of, and I wish it would come more so up here, is that there's this wonderful reinforcing cycle going on of basically there's a raising public awareness of the value of planning. And then they're getting more, clients are demanding actual planning, not just yes. product sales, yes. which just then leads to more demand for people doing that sort of thing. Yes. And it just keeps on feeding itself. And, you know, I look at here where we're still very much product-based sales as, as the driving factor, even though people, you know, hidden behind the gloss of quote unquote financial planning, if that. I mean, when you see surveys come out in this country that say, you know, that ask, do you have a financial plan? And like 60% of people say yes, to which I, you know, I teach at a university. Like when I put up that slide, there's a little asterisk there that says bull right next yeah, to it. Because right. I'm sorry, that's just that's not, simply true. not true. Right. Simply not true. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm I'm not I'm only needing the other 40%. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, the fact that you guys have kind of hit this flywheel and further than that, the innovation and the attention that's being garnered from investment and from, from the media. It's fantastic. It's creating the future aware of, of massive public awareness, massive responsibility, and tools that are going to be able to help us basically put that in place. And I am often, I come back from the conferences in the U.S., ridiculously jealous. So, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's true. I mean, yes. you you see it. Like, there is enthusiasm and excitement, yep. you know, from our industry as a whole. Like, yeah. And that's, I'm happy about that. I'm really happy yeah. because people need planning in their lives. They Absolutely. need it. If I knew about it earlier, I'd yeah. be in a much better spot. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it is exciting, isn't yeah. it? And when you see the younger generation of planners coming in from these dedicated courses, I mean, you said, I just sat in on a couple of next gen case meetings when I was at the FPA conference last year. And I'm just like, I was floored. Yeah. It's just the passion and the mindset these people have. It's just, it bodes so well for the future of this industry down there. And we need that up here. It'll come. <laughs> also, It'll come. I hope so. It'll I sincerely come. hope so. Anyway, Tony, uh, Anthony, um, which one should I call you? Tony's good. Tony's good. Yeah. So I didn't screw that up. So Tony, thank you so much for coming in. This has been wonderful. This has been great, Jason. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So that was my interview with Tony Shtick of Advice. And I hope you enjoyed that. And as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, Please uh, feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. And with that, I'm Jason Pereira. Until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.